appreciate the music tonight. My name's Jerry Sheffield. I, actually, I was here about a year and a half ago. I had just retired from the state prison system over at the Goodman Unit, and Brother Brian, uh, I think, and maybe uh, Brother Kenneth out of the way, and with his wives or something, anyway, they were going to the state convention, I think, back in November, about a year and a half ago. Anyway, and I came over one Sunday morning. You were gracious enough to listen to me, and uh, Brother Brian called me and ask if I would uh, sub tonight for him, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's good to be back with y'all. Tonight, I want us to turn to the book of Exodus for a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, some things in the life of Moses, see how God worked in his life, and draw an application there of how God wants to work in our lives. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this day, and uh, just to be able to worship you together with other believers, we thank you for that. Thank you for the praise and song tonight to you, and we just say to you, be the glory and honor. Father, bless now as we read your word. May, you, uh, may your Holy Spirit bring it home to us in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to uh, think about and realize what you're doing in our lives as you did in the life of Moses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Exodus chapter 3, it's a pretty familiar passage. If you're familiar with the Bible and you've been studying it, uh, after working with men in prison, I always try to make a statement, even though I'm in a church that's probably been here well over 100, 150 years or whatever. I don't know how long First Baptist Coleman Hill's been here, but a while. But I don't like to assume that you know that I don't like to assume that people grew up in church. A lot of people did. But after working in the prison for over a decade, I know there are a lot of people who didn't grow up in church. And that doesn't mean that everybody didn't grow up in church in prison. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but it just reminded me, those 14 years working in prison, it reminded me that we don't all come with the same background when we come to church on Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever it may be. And... Um, we don't all have the same background so far as our Bible knowledge and, and our church uh, participation and church knowledge. So anyway, having said that, we're going to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we'll read probably through verse 10. We'll kind of work our way through it as we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the, pre- the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is after Moses has grown up in the in the uh, court of Pharaoh, uh, probably most of you, if not all, have seen the movie The Ten Commandments. I like the old version better. There have been others made. But anyway, uh, Moses has come out of Pharaoh's court, having grown up there 40 years, and he's had to run for his life. He's out in this desert, as it says, tending to the flock of his father Jethro. Uh, and Moses has the background of Egypt, and all of his formal training there. And uh, he also has the background now of 40 years, about 40 years of tending sheep out in the desert. And he's going to need all of that experience for what God is about to call him to do for the next 40 years of his life. And we're, we're familiar with that when he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and and into the wilderness, and they're there for those 40 years before Moses dies, just before they go into the promised land. When 
even, I think it is, preaching in Acts chapter 7, in that sermon he makes mention of Moses and says that he was learned, he was educated, he was skilled in all the words, the language of Egypt and, and all the skill, something on that order of Egypt. Anyway, the New Testament commentary says that Moses got a good education in Egypt, not just how to, become, how to be the king's heir and uh, one day presumably to take the throne of Egypt. He got all that training, but he got training in the skills, the workmanship, the craftsmen of Egypt. And of course, that was going to import, be important when they came to build the tabernacle out in the wilderness, even though Moses wasn't doing the actual construction himself, and he appointed those two men that God told him to oversee the construction of it. Yet, when you put that passage in Acts 7 together with Exodus 25 through 40, the, the, the tabernacle chapters, it's amazing how God brought all this to pass. And of course, he's going to need the shepherd skills when he starts leading the people out. Jesus compared, you know, us to sheep, and he is our shepherd. David did that in the 23rd Psalm and other passages. So let's come back to verse 2. And the angel of the Lord, so, so Moses is going about his everyday job right now is what he's doing. And his everyday job now is tending to the sheep. So he's going about his everyday job. Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Today we're concerned with our environment, and we need to be. I mean, we, we are stewards of the earth. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and basically told them they were stewards of it, take care of it, subdue it, and so forth. It meant they were stewards of it, take care of it, manage it. So we need to be good managers of the earth. That's where God gave us to live. But God revealed to Moses right here that God is not relying upon our resources. In fact, Moses learned that God is able to have this fire in the bush. God is, his presence was known by Moses. He made himself known in this fire. And yet, the leaves were still there, the, the stems, the twigs were all still there, the branches were still there, the bush was not consumed. When we do something, we're, we're, you know, we're great at consuming, we are consumers. Whether we go buy it at Walmart or whether we grow it out in the garden or whether we whatever, we are consumers. But God is not a consumer, God is a giver and God is the one who created and so now he's speaking to Moses out of this bush and it catches Moses' attention because the bush is not consumed. No gas shortage, no oil shortage, no oxygen shortage, no fuel shortage. It's all, and God is right there in the present. So it really catches God's attention. Things happen in our lives that catch our attention. Health-wise, financial-wise, business-wise, um, Brother Brian, our pastor, Brother Brian South, this morning made a statement in his sermon. Two men in our church lost their job this week. I don't know who they were. I don't know what jobs that uh, they lost. But in my first pastorate, I learned a very uh, jolting lesson. And that is, nothing in this world is secure. 
only, only spiritual matters, only what God deals with. We had a, one of our deacons in the first church I pastored, which was First Baptist Church of Ovilla, Texas. It wasn't even on the map in those days, uh, but it's a suburb of Dallas now. Grady Orr worked for the Ford Motor Company. You just can't get any more American than Ford Motor Company. And he had worked, uh, I was just a kid when we were there as pastors. Sandra and I were just kids. But, but uh, Grady was in his early 60s, anticipating retiring in just a few years. And Ford Motor Company shut their plant down in Dallas. They had an assembly plant in Dallas. And he came home one day and had to tell Winona, his wife, that in, I've forgotten how long, maybe they gave him two months notice, I've forgotten, but in a certain amount of time, he was going to be out of a job. They had one choice. They had two choices. He could take an early retirement, and it would be less than what he had anticipated all those years, or they could move to someplace like Ohio or Michigan or someplace for about four years, and he could finish up his time. Well, I learned things are not eternal. Man's word, even though it's given with good intentions, cannot always be depended on. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we break promises. We don't intend to do that when we make a promise. But God doesn't do that. Verse 4, Then when the Lord saw that, Mo, uh, that he turned to aside to look, when God saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw... Uh, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So here's this incredible scene. Moses sees this bush. It's on fire. A voice comes out, identifies himself as God. When God gets our attention then he's ready to speak to us. God got Moses' attention with a burning bush. And then when Moses turned and gave his attention to God, God spoke to him. Sometimes we're wanting God to speak to us, but God really doesn't have our attention. He hadn't got our attention yet. And so we need to, we need to give God our attention. There's very little we can give God. There's a little song we used to sing in Bible school, and there's a Christmas carol. It's not one of the more popular ones, but the title of it is Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. And the final stanza, the, the, the final lines, I think, of most of the three or four stanzas in that Christmas carol say something to the effect, Lord, there's room in my heart for you. In other words, come into my heart, Lord. There are a few things we can give God. We can give Him ourselves. That's what he wants most of all. We can give him our attention. And as we give him ourselves, we give him our attention. So now God has Moses' attention, and the Lord speaks to him. And Moses is fearful. You know, when the Lord speaks to us, it's a fearful thing. It's an awesome thing. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. It's a reverent, awesome respect for God. It's what, it's what the Bible talks about now. There, there's a fear in recognizing God can do anything God wants to do. But this is an awesome, tremendous fear. At this time, Moses was afraid of God. He was afraid. He, wouldn't, he didn't know what was going on. Verse 7. Now remember, Moses didn't have the Bible. 
like we do to read. In fact, Moses is going to write the first five books of it. And so all this is new. And verse 7, the Lord said, and notice the word Lord is in all capital letters in our English versions. That means it is Yahweh, Jehovah God. It's the name of God. And the Lord will tell Moses more about that as he writes uh, and, and more as we get into the scripture later on. But right now the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And then look at verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen the oppression which the Egyptians, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Something we notice in verse 7 and 9, and then verse 8 fills in the gap. God said, Moses, I have seen, I have seen the oppression of my people. I've heard their cry, and I know their sorrows. You and I tonight can take great comfort and encouragement and excitement in knowing that God sees us, He hears our prayer, and He knows our condition, He knows our situation, He knows our circumstances, He knows all about us. In fact, in Daniel chapter 5, the same thing is said in contrast. The, the negative of this is said. Remember in Daniel chapter 5, it's when Bel, Belteshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's probably grandson, King James says son, uh, it's, it's a descendant, probably a grandson, but nevertheless, the Babylonian Empire, had captured, you know, come in and, and taken the, the southern kingdom and, and hauled most, a lot of the people back as captives or we would call them today prisoners of war. Daniel was one of those. And Daniel had been over there in Babylon for almost 70 years, 60, probably 67 years or so. And Belteshazzar was having this great feast one night, big banquet, and that's when the hand came out, you know, a hand appeared and began to write on the wall. It scared everybody to death. Just like we probably would be too if we saw a hand all of a sudden appearing, writing on the wall. And Nebuch uh, Belteshazzar's grandmother, I think it was, said to him, you know, he, Belteshazzar didn't know what was going on. He was the Babylonian king. He didn't know what was going on. And he was just scared. What, what's it? And his wise men and all these advisors came to, you know, he called for them. Nobody knew what was going on. And his grandmother, who very probably was Nebuchadnezzar's wife, told him, there's a man of God out there in the countryside. And if you get him in here, he can tell you what this is all about. And so Belshazzar called for Daniel that night. Excuse me, Belshazzar was the king. Daniel's name had been changed to Belteshazzar. Belshazzar was the king. It all, all those names meant something about their God. Bel was one of their uh, pagan gods that they worshipped. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, all, they were changed from their Hebrew names that had God in them to a name that had the, some of the Babylonian pagan gods' names in them. So anyway, 
Belshazzar the king calls for Daniel, whose name had been changed to Belshazzar, calls him to come in, and Daniel tells him, reads the handwriting on the wall and tells him what it said. I'm going to paraphrase now, but you can go to Daniel 5 and read it. And he said, that says that your kingdom has ended, and tonight you're going you're to face God tonight. That's it. You're going to die tonight. And uh, sure enough, it came to pass. The Medo-Persian Empire came in that night. Uh, history, uh, uh, secular history records the Persians taking, you know, by the city of Babylon that night and so forth. And amazing story how they did it. But anyway, they came in that night. And what Daniel told Belshazzar that night was, Belshazzar, you have worshipped these gods of stone and iron and wood and clay and all these stones which do not see, cannot hear, and do not know who you are. You've worshipped those. And the God, <clears throat> the God in whose hand, the, the, the God who holds in his hand the very air that you breathe, you have not acknowledged. And that was the message that Daniel gave to Belshazzar that night, the king, the king of Babylon. But as Daniel told him that, Daniel told him the opposite of what Moses, the Lord had told Moses here. Daniel said, Belshazzar, you're worshiping a God who cannot see. But our God, Daniel could say, our God sees our oppression. You worship a God who cannot hear your cries, Belshazzar. But we worship a God who hears our prayers. And Belshazzar, you worship gods who do not know you or anything about you because they're inanimate objects. But Belshazzar, we worship a God who knows all about us. And of course, Daniel had been reading in Jeremiah the prophet and he knew that things were happening in his surroundings that God had prophesied. But we come back to our text in Exodus and God said to Moses, I've seen the oppression of my people he reminds Moses, Moses, they're my people. They're your people, but they're my people, Moses. As Christians, you may be a member of First Baptist Church Coleman Mills, or we're members of First Baptist Church Jasper, but far greater than that, we're members of God's church, the family of God, and the church that Paul speaks of in Romans and Corinthians and so forth. And so the Lord said, I've seen, I've heard, and I know their sorrows. And then he comes down in verse 10. Come now. In verse, verse 8, he says, so I'm going to deliver the people. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. When God gets our attention and we're ready to listen, not just with our ears but with our heart, and we're crying out, Lord, whatever you cry out to God, whatever your need is, whatever your desire is, whatever it is that you're laying before the Lord, God says, I, I see you and I have already seen you. Remember in the day or two after 9-11 when President Bush went to New York and he was talking and all these uh, First responders were out there and people trying to clean the debris and, and go through all the rubble and everything. And, and one of them shouted, Mr. President, we can't hear you. And George Bush climbed up on that fire truck. One of the firemen helped pull him up there and the fire, he took the, what do you call that thing, the big speaker 
megaphone if it wasn't amplified, but you know what I'm talking about, took that big speaker. And President Bush said, but I hear you. And he either said, America hears you or the world hears you. I forgot. God says to his people, I hear you. I hear your prayers. We are so geared today to wanting everything instantly. And when God doesn't answer on our timetable, we think God hasn't heard us, so he's not answering my prayer or whatever. We even set timetables sometimes for God. And God says, he really knows best. I'll share one very personal testimony with you. I mentioned the first church I pastored a while ago, the First Baptist Church of Ovilla, Texas. Grady Oil was one of our deacons. That church was a little country church. When we went there, I mean, we drove through the towns. We drove out Saturday to find it so I'd know where to go Sunday morning. We wouldn't be late getting there. We drove through, we drove through Ovilla that Saturday and didn't even know it. We, were, we saw a sign, a uh, city limit sign, and several miles down the road, we, it, it, we, we must have missed it. How did we miss? And Sandra said, well, just before we got to that sign, there was a, I saw a tin building over to the right. We went back. Sure enough, we had gone through Ovilla and didn't know it. Well, we went there, small church, <clears throat> and uh, a lot of other things involved, but I won't take time to say all that. But there came a time, I went there, they paid $35 a week, and, and they knew that you know it was just a little country church, and I had another job. Then they raised my salary after about um, just a short time, two or three months, to $45 a month. And that was, wow, that was, an, that was an increase. But after a couple of years, the church was growing. It was, we were expecting our first child, and uh, the church was growing, and, and uh, Sandra, was, she had been working in Dallas, but she was going to quit her job when the baby was born, and then she was going to just be a stay-at-home-at mom for a while anyway. And so I needed to get another job, or something needed to happen. And I looked, and I looked around, and I all over Waxahachie, the Dallas area, I could not get a job. And that sounds ridiculous, but I couldn't get a job. And the church people had gotten together just in their typical form. They didn't have a formal business meeting. They're just talking to one another. We got to do something, you know. The preacher ain't got any better sense than to be out here, and we, gonna, we, we got to do something. And it was a great step of faith for the church, and it was a great step of faith for Sandra and me because Sandra and I had looked on the calendar. We knew when she was going to quit her job, and we knew how far her salary would go, and maybe, uh, maybe a little bit, a week or two salary later. Anyway. We had looked on the calendar, and we had a date set, and we said, Lord, you know, something's got to get, I got to get a job. Something's got to happen by this certain date. And, you know, in typical fashion, we, we went on, we went on, and, the, and, and we, the church was, God was blessing, things were happening, and that date came, and I didn't have a job. Church hadn't raised my salary. We didn't know what was going on. And so we just kept praying, said, Lord, something's got to give, and I've forgotten the exact now, but maybe a few days later, that, I don't remember what day of the week that date fell on, but then there came a Sunday right after that, and the church, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks later, and the church took up a love offering that Sunday and gave it to us, and they voted also to raise my salary from $45 to $75 a week. Now, back in... 1960, whatever that was, $75 a week was a good, good pay. You, you, you couldn't quite live on that, but, but you could almost do it. It, it, was, it was good. And it was a tremendous leap of faith for the church. But then for what God did for us, for Sandra and me, 
in saying, I see you, I hear your prayers, I know your situation. In God's great grace and love, the church voted to raise my salary, gave us that offering, that love offering, that vote my raise my salary and make the raise retroactive. And guess what date? They made it retroactive too, and they didn't know they didn't know we had been praying or anything. It was the exact date we had set and said, Lord, we can't get past that. God said, I know, I know. But our timetable doesn't always line up with God's timetable. There was no way it could be done, anything could be said about it except glory to God. This is God at work. When God spoke to Moses out of this bush and he said, while the leaves are still there, the stems are still there, it hadn't been scorched, it hadn't been burned. This is God at work. For you and me to be able to say, even in our recognition, remember Moses was going about his everyday job. Same thing he had done for about 40 years now, taking care of the sheep, backside of the desert. Yet, when God speaks to us, it so often is in our everyday, mundane job, situation, whatever we're going about day in and day out. And God says, hey, I want to break through and come into your life in an exciting, vibrant new way to demonstrate my love and my power, and you will know that it has to be of God. And then, wow, we're ready to share that with someone else. And Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer of anyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Of course, Moses began to offer all the excuses, but God had a bigger plan than Moses could ever see. Tonight, I don't know what's going on in your life. It's not important that I know. But rest assured, God knows every detail. He knows the timetable you're on. He sees you. He hears your prayer. And He knows your whole situation and circumstance. And God cares. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight, Thank you that you care about us, that you see us every day. Even when we don't want you to see us, you still see us. You hear our cries. You hear our prayers. You know all about us. Lord, we thank you for that. And tonight, may you speak to our hearts fresh and new and help us to yield ourselves to you even as Moses did and say, Wow, Lord, what is it that you want? In Jesus' name.